Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts and stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. And now, here is your host, DJ Bob. What's it like directing a purple dinosaur and wishbone? Find out in this episode with our friend, Fred Holmes. Let's get into it. So, before we get into the nitty-gritty of it all, would you mind introducing yourself and kind of give a brief little elevator pitch of what you've been doing for decades now? Not to age you, but like, you've been doing this a long time. I have been, yes. Uh, well, my name is Fred Holmes. I'm a writer-director um of television and films, and I've also I also write novels. And occasion back in my early days, I actually edited the films that I wrote and directed. So I do a variety of different jobs. And um, um, I have I started out in television commercials, and moved from TV commercials into television documentaries that were shot all over the world and traveled the world for several years and doing that and then came back to the states and uh started doing television and film and have directed three feature films and a bunch of different tv shows including barney and friends and wishbone um but uh, I'm, I'm what's called a freelance writer director which means i'm not on staff with anyone i work for a bunch of different companies so while i was directing barney for 15 years i was also directing shows uh, like Wishbone and Mary Lou Retton's Flip Flop Shop and a bunch of other TV shows all at the same time. And going off of that, is there something that you wish people knew about your job, whether it be writing or directing? Is there any misconceptions that people think you do, but it isn't really the case. Well, it's it's interesting because most people don't really understand what a director does. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I, the question I always get more often than not at cocktail parties is, you know, what exactly does a director do? Uh, because, you know, it, they, they see actors on the screen. They don't see the guy behind the camera who's directing those actors. So that's usually the question I get and the most, uh, the misconception you get, I guess, is that everybody's Steven Spielberg and we all, uh, uh, you know, sit in our director's chair and, and yell at our actors and we're, 
in most cases, like in my career, I've done uh, a lot of low budget movies and TV shows. And in those situations, when you don't have a hundred million dollars to spend, you, uh, you spend most of your time out on the set with the actors, telling them what to do and where to go and what to say. And, and then you carry that through all the way through editing to where you work with an editor to make sure that the finished show reflects what the script was. So um, I think most of the time that's if to answer your question, Bob, most of the time, the biggest misconception that I run into is that people really don't know what a director does. And a lot of people don't understand that, especially working in children's television like you you did for so long. It's like people think kids' television is kind of watered down and there isn't a lot to it. But look at Barney, for example. You've got people in suits and kids and choreography and all these things. It's not just one and done action cuts editorial hit the air it can weigh more than that oh yeah very much so yeah we always said that it takes a lot of work to make the show look as simple as it looks uh it is actually a very complex show to work on especially as a director uh because you're right not only are you working with uh adults in 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 uh, costumes and those are very large heavy costumes uh that are difficult to work with uh but you're also working with children and and you're working with children around these guys in these huge costumes and for example barney the barney costume with the actor inside weighed close to 350 pounds so if he stepped on one of those kids it would have been disappointing so you've got that going on and then you're right you have choreography that the kids and the dinos have to learn uh, they have to memorize all their dialogue and and then uh, i add to that by showing them what's called blocking which means i take them out on the set and show them where to walk and where where to play what lines and whether they're going to be standing or sitting and all those things and so i have to work out all those things with them and then in addition to that, we do songs. So it's like directing a musical a week. Uh, and that's a huge challenge. Uh, most people don't realize that it's, it's very complex to pull off a show like that. Um, and uh, to do it for, I did it for 15 years. So that's, uh, it, was a, it was a real exciting time. And, you know, one of my dearest friends, in the industry and who's been on this podcast several times, Carrie Stinson has so many wonderful stories of you and working with you. And what are your memories of working with Carrie and David and everyone? Like any stories that stick out? Any for each oh, of those? Yeah, I've got probably several hundred more, more than we have time for me to tell. Uh, but you're right. I started with David. David was in the costume when I first started. And uh, so then when Carrie came on board, uh, Carrie and I, uh, we we gelled immediately. We really clicked and both as as team team workers, but also as human beings. And he was a real joy to work with. He really cared about the image of Barney and what we were doing and the fact that 
millions of children all over the world in 26 different countries were watching our show every week. Um, and so he was a joy to work with. And I, I, I you know, I, I'll tell you, Bob, I've got, like I said, I've got a bunch of shows, uh, stories about uh, Bob, about, I'm sorry, about Carrie. But um, I guess one of them that really stands out is uh, we were doing a, a show in which we built a, uh, a large swimming pool. Oh, know. yeah. Remember that episode? Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, in the story, as you recall, Barney had to run and jump into this swimming pool. Well, we did a lot of research and trying to figure out how the costume was going to respond uh, when he jumped in that water because it's 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 just made of fabric um and so fabric of course absorbs water so we didn't know how heavy it would become and all those issues plus it also has electronics inside of it the and so there's a always a possibility of of being shocked or fire or those kind of things so anyway we had to work out all those issues and we spent quite a bit of time working through that and figuring out what would work and what would what wouldn't and finally, on the day of shooting, we got out there and I, uh, we'd put a little trampoline so that as, as Carrie came running toward the swimming pool, he jumped onto that little trampoline and used that to springboard into the pool. And the pool was pretty full. I had, I had them fill it pretty high. And so I, uh, I walked out there and talked to him and we you know, discussed it. And then I talked to all the handlers who worked with with the Barney costume and so forth. And I told him, I just need you guys to stand by because, you know, if this thing sinks to the bottom of the pool, we need to be able to get Carrie out as quick as we can. And in those days, the, the, the egress for the costume was a Velcro strip that was uh, un underneath. So in order to get Carrie out, you had to basically lay him back, unzip this Velcro strap, and then birth him like you'd birth a horse. And so sure enough, when I called action, Carrie came running and he jumped on the trampoline. He bounced up in the air and he landed in that water and it made this huge splash and he sank like a rock. Uh, it filled up with water very quickly. And, but it was such a great shot. I would, I didn't call cut and everybody was looking at me, you know, worried that I, you know, that, about what was happening to Carrie, but it, it, I was waiting for all the water to finish splashing and everything else. And so finally I went and cut. And everybody leaped in and, and pulled the Velcro apart and pulled him out. And, and everything worked out great. And it made a great shot. It's a collaborative effort. Yes, it is. That show. And any, any project, but especially that show, there is a literal family there. And when you're sworn in a couple seasons in to the series run the show's already popular so when you got the gig were you familiar with this dinosaur that we all love no not at all i i, I have a son but my son uh, he was, by the time Barney came along, my son was too old to be a Barney fan. And I'd never seen the show. I had, I knew, I had friends that were working on the show. So I'd heard about the show, but I'd never seen it. And I was directing another, 
uh, TV show for the same company that owned Barney. Uh, it was a show called Wishbone. I love that show. Yeah, it was fun. I directed. I was directing that show, and I was called by a friend of mine, a guy named Jim Rowley, who was executive producer of the show at the time. And Jim and I had been friends for a long time, and I was one of the few directors in town in the Dallas area that had that had experience directing both single camera and multi camera TV shows. Because um, when I directed films, feature films, you shoot generally single camera and then television shows, you shoot multi camera. And I directed both. So I knew how to do both. And they uh, the people doing Barney were real anxious to to try to do some things a little different than what had been done in the past, because all their directors had been multi camera directors coming out of, of television. Uh, and so they wanted someone who could bring in a different perspective. And so they called me and asked me if I would do the show. And I said, well, let me, you know, send me some episodes. Let me look at it first. So I watched it and I was, I was like everyone else. I was just enamored with this big purple dinosaur and the impact he had on children. And I started asking around with friends who had children that age and oh, everybody loved Barney. And, and I, um, I've always enjoyed doing TV shows that have a positive impact on children. And I just saw a chance here to not only make a living doing what I love, which is directing films and TV, but also to be doing a show that millions of kids all over the world would be uh, impacted in a positive way. So I, uh, I told him, I, you bet, I'll direct it. And, and I started into the show and stayed 15 years. You've directed so many episodes and so many things for that show, but if you were to choose one episode that you are most proudest of, that you pulled that pulled that off, what episode encapsulates that whole experience for you? What does it all boil down to, if there is one? Well, actually... You'll be surprised. I actually do have a favorite episode, and for a number of reasons. But it's it was an episode called Little Red Rocking. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. It, ah, well, it's the only Barney episode that was ever written and directed by the same guy. I wrote and directed that episode. Most of the episodes uh, I would direct, but someone else wrote. But I got to write and direct that one. And so, it, the whole concept, everything about it, was all mine. And it, that, that very rarely happens on a show where you have 250 people working on the show. So, and I just, I love the, I love the concept of it because we were trying to do kind of a rock opera uh, approach to the show and do something a little different than what we'd ever done before. Um, but in terms of the home videos, which I, uh, I directed a bunch of the home videos as well. My favorite home video was one we did. We shot at Universal and Orlando, uh, along with two other areas there, uh, called Land of Make Believe. Um, it was the most expensive home video Barney ever did. And we spent a lot of time on that show and I directed it. And it was written by uh, uh, a friend of mine, Steve White. And it was it was just a blast to do, a lot of fun and, and turned out to be a really good video. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes that you directed, uh, because 
it is so important, especially now in our climate and in our world, is trading places. It's the one where Baby Bop and BJ sort of switch identities for a day. And they realize that they like after they, they, they like themselves just as they are, but they like parts of each other, which is really important to know as a child. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great message. I, I, I vaguely remember that one. I do, I do recall it, but, you know, keep in mind, uh, Bob, I directed, uh, I think, 97 uh, PBS episodes. So yeah. after and that was an early one, it. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I show, you know, one of the themes of our show is the podcast is about pop culture, but it's also about diversity and disability inclusion because I myself am in a wheelchair. I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when I was young and all that thing. I'm wheel I'm confined to a wheelchair. So Barney sort of embraced inclusion and diversity in such a major way. So what is disability inclusion and diversity? mean to you in the work that you do? Well, you know, as I said earlier, the, the, one of the main things that attracted me attracted me to the show to, from the very beginning was that it had a very positive message for children. That means all children. Uh, you know, we all have some issues in our lives. I mean, some are more difficult than other people's, but uh, we all have issues. And we're all trying to just live our lives the best we can and to be the best human beings we can and to treat each other with kindness and fairness and and respect. And I love the fact that that was a huge message from Barney. Um, you know, we several times had kids on the shows that had some form of disability. I remember one young lady came on the show and she was, she was born without a le- her left hand. And she was very, very... Um, she was embarrassed by the fact she didn't have a hand. Uh, and I felt really bad for her. And so when I made a point of when I would be directing her, I would come over to her as I would all, I'm, I'm very touchy feely. I like hugging the kids and I like, you know, getting talking to them and getting down on their level to talk to them. And so when I came over to, to direct her, I took her hands and my hands, and that included the hand that wasn't there. And it, she, I, she seemed shocked at first. You know, I think it was the first time anyone had ever done that. And, um, you know, I think to me, Bob, it, the message, the, the, the positive side of Barney wasn't just the show itself going out to kids all over the world. It was also the way we treated the kids on the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was... To us, it was very important that the children themselves that we were working with also benefited from being on, from participating in the show. Uh, and so we did. We made a, a concerted effort to bring on kids that had hearing disabilities and all kinds of different issues in their lives. Um, and then one of our our main um, uh, the charity that we worked with was the Make a Wish Foundation. 
and we would bring on kids that were who would ask to come on the Barney show and often that was their last wish. Um, and so we'd bring those kids onto the show and we would make sure they feel welcomed and feel a part of the show. And we'd do a little videotape with them and get to let, let them, you know, uh, spend some time with Barney and sing I Love You. And, and then the parents would go home with this videotape. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it, we were very cognizant of our responsibility as both artists and as human beings to create a show that was inclusive and respectful and kind. And I have to commend you. You guys were doing it way before most shows were. Well, I that that goes back to our founder, Cheryl Leach, and, and uh, uh, you know, they, the two ladies who founded the show were very, very, um, uh, were school teachers and really did love kids. And that's all kids. And, you know, it, like I said earlier, you know, we've all got some issues in our lives. Nobody's perfect. And, um, you know, the, the best thing we can do as artists and as human beings is to make the world a better place for everyone. And that's what I try to do with this podcast in a way. It's just to, I used to never talk about my disability on this podcast. But I'm so glad that I do now because it opens up a whole new world as far as who I can talk to and what I can talk about. And I'm so glad that disability inclusion and diversity is so widespread now, but we're still not where we need to be. Yeah, you know, people are people and there's going to be good people and they're going to be bad people and you know, you have my greatest respect for the fact that you have been, uh, uh, you've had the courage and the and the um, strength of character to, you know, take on a task like this. You know, doing a podcast isn't easy. It's a lot of work. And uh, so, you know, I really commend you for doing what you're doing because you're, you know, you become, you become, you end up doing what we did. You end up uh, being a voice, not just for for uh, people like yourself who have some issues in their lives, but you also become a, an encouragement to those people to try to do something beyond just accepting what the world is, what the, the what the cards have been dealt them. You you want to do something with your life. You want to make things better for other people, and that's a I, that's exactly what we did on Barney, and I'm just. I'm very pleased to be here and, and be a part of helping you do that. Well, that is great. So while we're on that topic, just to turn the tables, do you have any questions for me about what I do? Like, I want to know what you want to know. If there's any, like to have a conversation and just see where it goes. Well, what's your, what's your, you know, I'll tell you, this is what I always ask everybody, Bob, because I've been interviewed. I don't know how many times over the years. I've been doing this for over 50 years. And I, the, the question, one of the questions I always ask someone when they are asking me, oh, how do I get into the film business? Or how do I, you know, do the things that you've done? And the first question I always ask them, and I'll ask you that question now, is what's your long-term goal? Where do you, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Well, 
to go into that question, I want to give you a little background because in my email to you, I kind of gave you a cliff note version of it, if you will. But here, I, we're here, so I'll just tell you. I started this podcast when I was 15 years old. I'm 27 now. And it was a podcast. It was our first year was live for four hours, seven days a week. That is difficult for anyone, let alone my situation. So eventually, I gave that up. And I started doing not just pre-recorded long-form content. And I used to do like a music show and I used to be like a DJ. But then I started having conversations with these people. And look at the conversation we're having right now. You're not bigger than me. I'm not bigger than you. We're equal. We're having a conversation together. So, back to your question. My long-term goal is to just... One of my phrases and one of my common things that I always say is... Let your disability be in the background and press record. And that's exactly what I'm doing because I could be worried about, oh, what if I stutter? What if I do this? What if I do that? And I still do worry about that. But after a while, I think about, you know what? Just do it. (laughs) Like, just try it and have a conversation and you never know where it'll take you. Well, I'll tell you, I've been I've been really fortunate in that I'm 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 relatively healthy. Even at my age, I'm relatively healthy. But it, even but starting out when I was a young guy uh, trying to break into the film business, I was terrified. I was like you. I was trying to think, you know, oh, nobody's going to hire me. Nobody's going to give me a chance, and I'm never going to become a director because you know becoming a director is like. Uh, there's there's no real school that you can go to and no one mentors you because other directors don't want you to be their competition. So it's you're trying to figure out how to how to do the impossible. And so I think you and I connect uh, very much in that way in that we've both faced a big uphill battle. And, you know, as you said before earlier, you uh, at some point, you just have to say, just do it. Just go out there, tell everybody, this is who I am. This is what I do. And I'm going to do it. And you figure out the way to make that happen. And the other, one of my sort of pet peeves about the industry, especially in the industry that I'm in, the sort of broadcast media sort of journalism side of things is that people often use podcasting and this medium as a step to something else. You follow where I'm going? Like, they use this as a way to get somewhere else. And I've I've always been the opposite where this is all I want to do because 
when I was younger, I, you know, playing outside for me was difficult because my thinking was if I can't play like the others, what am I just going to do? Just sit there and watch? So what I did was I made my own fun. I made, I did fake radio shows. I used to, you know, play, you know, fake radio DJ just because. And there are so many full circle moments because here I am watching, you know, Barney. And then as a, as a young, young, young kid, just thinking of it as this, this thing that's always there, that's not living and breathing, that doesn't have any moving parts. Years later, I'm learning about the moving parts from all you guys, from Carrie, from Bob, from Josh, all, all of you. And just, I'm, I'm looking at these shows in an analytical sense. I'm not treating this like a fan. I'm a journalist. This is what I do. So, that's why when I see other podcasts try to emulate that type of thing, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Because you, you don't know whether they're in it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. You could tell. Yeah. Well, you know, I, from my standpoint, you know, I don't know you. I mean, I, I, I looked at some of your other, I listened to some of your, your other podcasts and, and read your material and, you know, but the bottom line is I'm not responsible for, for you and how you behave and what you do with your life and how you treat others. I'm only responsible for me. And so um, I come on and I try to be as honest and fair and honest and straightforward as I can be. And let the chips fall where they may. Well, I I real I really appreciate how open and honest we're being and now and now I consider you a friend. Like you're not doing an interview. You're having a conversation with me. There's a difference. Cause interview has this weird connotation of like, oh, I have to be like, it's just like a different mindset that you're in. But when you frame it as a conversation, kind of like takes down the pressure a little bit. Like, oh, we're just talking. Yeah, and, I, and you're right about other podcasts. I've been interviewed for several other shows. And, and a lot of times they treat you, because of what I've been able to do in my life, they treat me like I'm somebody special, that I've done something uh that other people couldn't do. And I've never seen myself like that. I, you know, what I, what I've done, I've been very fortunate, but anybody could have done what I did given the opportunities that I was given. Um, and I, I'm no, I'm no smarter, no more talented than anyone else. I just got opportunities other people didn't get. And nobody understands that more than I do and is grateful, more grateful than I am. Um, so, you know, I, I, I appreciate the fact that we are just talking as friends and not talking as interviewer and interviewee, um, because, you know, 
uh, I don't mind sharing the, the, the path I've been on and the, op- and the things I've done, but I'm no better than anyone else and certainly no smarter. <laughs> Even when I do have a press opportunity, like with a big network or something, like sometimes those things, sometimes those things happen. Uh, like uh, be approached to do publicity for a television show or something. Yeah, there are parameters that you have. There are certain bullet points you have to hit. But you can do that within a conversation. Yep. So that's how I frame this and basically everything I do. And it never used to be like that. But I'm glad I made the transition because it helped me out so much. That's great. So, one of your other claims of fame within the Barney universe is working with Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez during their time on the show. What are your What are your memories of those? Well, let's be honest. No names. Of course, I'm kidding. <laughs> what are your memories of them? Uh, they were all positive. Uh, they were both great kids, um, and um, uh, both ki- both of them were uh, very focused, uh, uh, very professional. They worked hard. Uh, they took direction well. Uh, they were smart kids. Uh, you know, you can imagine after doing the show for 15 years, I worked with a lot of children. And some were good at what they did, and some were not very good at what they did. And usually those kids didn't last very long. Uh, But Selena and Demi both were great kids. And uh, the thing I really liked about both of them was that um, they were not only good on camera, but they were fun off camera. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we tried to make the experience on Barney a very positive experience for the kids. So, you know, we, we tried to make sure that they had a good time and that they enjoyed themselves. Uh, and so, but that also is very dependent uh, on the kids because some kids are so intimidated by this whole thing that um, they let that bother them. So even when the camera wasn't rolling, they just, they weren't friendly and they would sit in their chairs off to one side and didn't want to talk. Well, Selena and Demi both would visit with you and laugh and you could tell jokes and you could kid around. And and I, I could tell, especially with Selena, uh, I could tell she just had something other kids didn't have. Uh, there's that uh, elusive quality they call the star quality, which I'm not sure if that's really true or not. But uh, you can you can just tell some kids just They've got something different than other kids have. And both those kids did, and especially Selena. Uh, but I, I liked both. They were a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I had stopped watching dur- like after that time, like right after. So that was the last little blip of Barney that I saw before I started rewatching years ago to just sort of reimmerse myself in the purple universe and things. So I that era is sorta of 
special to me is because it was different than the early days, but it still had the same qualities. Well, and I, I've stayed in touch with a lot of my kids that I worked with that we're still friends to this day. And we exchange emails and, and we visit and stay up, stay up. You know, a lot of these kids now have kids that are with the age or that kids that are the age that they were at uh, when I was working with them on the show. So it's, uh, it's been really fun to watch them uh, grow up and become adults and become parents. So, you know, you've done so many things, but one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we brought up today was Wishbone. Because Wishbone is super special to me, even more so than Barney, because it immersed myself in it. It made me get into the world of literature more. And it made me want to read, and it made me want to be imaginative, and... So, what was that experience like for you? It was great. Uh, it was a, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Barney is a multi-camera show, mean, meaning that we had four cameras that were all running all at the same same time, shooting from different angles. And the way you direct a show like that is totally different than you direct a show like Wishbone, which was a single camera show. And occasionally we'd use two cameras if we were doing stunts or something that was more complicated but most of the time it was a single camera show and so and that's really my background was primarily single camera and then later in my career I moved into doing multi-camera so I liked the show from a technical standpoint in that I would it got me back to my roots doing single camera directing again um, I have also worked with a lot of animals in my career and all different types of animals. And so I was very comfortable working with uh, soccer, which was the name, the real name of Wishbone. Um, and so I was, and then the, the uh, animal director, uh, the person who directed the animal stuff on the show uh, was a very experienced uh, person. She had done some, uh, she'd done White Fang for Disney and a bunch of other shows and so she and I, her name was Jackie Captain, and she and I clicked from day one because we both knew how to work with animals. Uh, so from that standpoint, it was great. But also, I'm a writer, and I love to read, and I love literature, and I have the greatest respect for literature. And uh, here in my latter part of my career, I'm actually write, writing novels now. So I, I, I love the fact that the show was trying to encourage kids to become readers and to expose them to uh, books that they perhaps wouldn't read for themselves that were the quote unquote, you know, classics of literature. Uh, so I liked it from that standpoint. And then most of the uh, crew and a lot of the cast that was working on the show were friends of mine that I had known for a lot of years. So it was like coming home and doing the show. And the kids on the show were great really love the kids. In fact, I'm still friends with all the kids on that show. And um, so it's fun. Really enjoyable. And we can't talk about Wishbone without, I mean, Larry. Larry Brantley. Larry is a blast. Still a blast. We're still friends. <laughs> Wishbone is such a special show for me because it, um, it really informed my just 
my love of reading and my world of imagination and all these things and it doesn't it doesn't get the respect that it deserves and I would love to see it stream somewhere or be somewhere that people can view anytime they want because I feel like it's required viewing in schools and stuff like that so there needs to be more of it yeah. somewhere there should, it should be but I'll, I will tell you that one of the issues with Wishbone from day one um, is that the people who control television the television industry live on the west coast and the east coast and they did not like an independent show that uh that they weren't working on and that, that they didn't control and so uh, you know that show should have won emmys for everything over absolutely never did and except i think it won for costume and maybe editing or something but it never won any of the big award the, sh the show should have won an emmy and the reason why is because those people wouldn't vote for it because they weren't working on it. And it's that's one of the terrible, sad, dark sides of Hollywood is that there's a lot of bigotry out there um, that you would be surprised that that exists because you would think those people above all else would not be bigoted. But there's a lot of bigotry out there. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm, so, I'm just so happy that it did exist and it gave kids a reason to love reading if they hadn't already and it's a unique show yep. and it's, it doesn't get the love that it deserves. it deserves so i'm glad that we got to discuss it for a bit today so what are you up to right now <laughs> i mean you're doing a lot yeah i was actually in in late 2019, I was hired by the Xingshan Global Studios in China to produce and direct and write a new children's show for Chinese television. And then the COVID hit. In fact, when I was in China at the end of 2019 for a month, working and meeting with the people there and setting up the show, the COVID was already out. The plague was already going around, but we didn't know it. And so when I came back for the holidays, the end of 2019, uh, I was going to come back to the States uh, to, uh, from, to have enjoy Christmas with my family. And then I was going back in January and was going to stay three years to create and develop and produce this show. Uh, but then COVID hit and everything fell apart. So uh, since then, since that fell apart, I decided I was going to uh, write some novels because I, I'd always wanted to write some novels. So I wrote a children's book um, that's aimed at kind of middle school and young adult, uh, older middle school and older kids called The Ugly Teapot. And now I am just got through, just finished the first draft on my second novel um, that is, uh, I'm hoping will release next year. So I've been doing that just to keep myself busy and, and do something fun, do something different. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been writing a novel. I've been writing a young adult novel for the past, on and off, for the past eight or nine years. And it's no easy feat. Like, you, it's really starting from scratch. And 
I'm getting the knack of it, but it'll be a while. I mean, it's been brewing in my head for a decade, pretty much. I write fantasy, and with fantasy, you have to create the whole cosmology of what the world is, what this new world is like that no one's seen before. And, you know, if you, I don't know how much you know about J.K. Rowling, but, you know, their first, the first, first Harry Potter took five years to write. Uh, and so I've been working on this one for three and a half years, and it's, it's a, it's a hard process, especially for a guy like me, because I started in as a screenplay writer, uh, teleplays and screenplays. And so it's a, you, it's a different language. It's a different way of writing that when you write for television and films, it's totally different than when, how you write for a novel. And uh, so I've been trying to teach myself how to do that and uh, been really enjoying it. So as we wrap up, I mean, we're, we're just about to wrap up our time together here, but what has working in the entertainment industry taught you about yourself? Uh, that I'm resilient. Uh, no one survives in the film business for over 50 years unless they're resilient. Uh, you get a lot of no's, uh, you get a lot of disappointment. And so you have to um, learn from that, those no's and those disappointments and apply those lessons going forward, but you always go forward. Um, you never let it, you know, it's okay to feel bad for a while, you know, a day or two and, and lick your wounds and then you get up and you go after it again. And if you, if you keep, if you do that, eventually you'll achieve something. Um, you know, where I am today is not where I thought I would be. Um, and so I've had to be flexible. That's the other thing I've learned in that if I get, if a door closes, then I go find a window to open. Uh, so I just shift gears. Um, and uh, I've also, I think I've also found that, um, that I'm really a positive person. Uh, and I think that really is something that everybody, it's a side that everybody needs in their life. You know, it's really easy to get down and stay down. But uh, I think, you know, you wake up the next morning and it's a whole new day and anything can happen. Anything can happen. And so you start off with a positive attitude with the assumption that something great's going to happen and it's going to change today. And I get up every morning thinking the same thing. And on the flip side of that, what has Barney taught you? Um, I don't know that Barney, actually, I'm not sure Barney has taught me anything. I think the reason that, the reason I got involved in Barney to begin with is because we were, we were sympathetic. We, 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 we thought and felt and believed the same things. And so I'm not sure that it taught me so much as it reinforced in, in my life the idea that there are good people in the world um, and that uh, if you're a good person, you'll generally attract good people around you. And I, I think, so from that standpoint, I, Barney was a reinforcing um, uh, influence in my life in that you know, what I'd always believed really was true. 
Well, you know, sometimes you need to be retaught things and re-reminded of things, and that could be considered a teaching moment as well. So, yeah, I guess. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for just having a genuine conversation with me, and I hope that we get to do this again soon. This has been really eye-opening, really nice, and really wonderful. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Bob. It was a real pleasure. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present.